0: Hey everybody, welcome again to F This Movie, the official podcast of FThisMovie.com. Movie love for movie lovers. My name is Patrick Bromley, and I'm super excited for this week's show because we're talking surviving the game, and I am joined for this conversation by the ultimate
1: hunter, Adam Risky. Hi, Adam. Hi. Um, Thank you when I joined F This Movie for not suggesting that I meet all of you guys in a cabin.
0: (laughs) That's our initiation.
1: Yeah, I know. I, I I I thought we were a little unfair with Rob, but he seemed game for it. No pun intended. Nicely done, yeah. sir. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then he made it to civilization, and we're like, "Do you want to write columns?" Yeah, he survived
0: the game. He did. And now he gets to he write about us. Redbox movies.
1: So he impressed us on the treadmill. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh so much to say about this movie uh so we're going to be talking about surviving the game in a little bit hopefully you're all having a good june exploitation if you don't uh know about june exploitation it is our month-long celebration of exploitation and genre movies every day there's a different category every day you watch a movie for that category and you post about it either on ifthismovie.com or you can post a lot of people have been posting about it on twitter uh, so there's a lot of june exploitation threads on twitter if you follow that hashtag but Seems like everybody's having a decent time. How's your June exploitation going, Adam?
1: It's going good. I was uh, going really strong at the beginning, where I was doing like upwards of two or three movies a day, and then I kind of burnt out. So I'm slowly working my way back into it. Yeah, that's I yeah. think
0: uh, a pretty common June exploitation tale.
1: Yeah, on Jackie Chan Day afterwards, I was like, I'm full. I need a break. Well you watched- I need to go four movies that day, didn't you? Yeah, and then the day after I watched, like, three, I watched The Country Bears across (laughs) 110th Street and The Abyss. That's some whiplash right there. Yes, it is. (laughs) Um, All right, well, so speaking of
0: of what you've been watching lately, have you seen anything good
1: lately? I have, yeah. I've been um, really, like, diving into... Stuff that I've owned but never watched, or I've signed up with so for so many streaming services that I just am forcing myself to use them and to watch things on them so I can justify the price. So, um, one of the DVDs that I've owned for a long time but have never watched is The Lawnmower Man Two: Jobs War, also known as The Lawnmower Man Two Beyond Cyberspace. So I finally watched that. Why did you own it? Uh, I bought it at half price books. And for some reason I thought maybe just because nobody ever talks about it, that it was rare. And like, if I don't buy it now, I'm never going to find this again. <laughs> so I, I, I did pick it up and that's happened with me with like turbulence and Tarzan in the lost city. I just own like all these snap cases that I'm embarrassed. About. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Lawnmower Man Two, Jobs War, I described it in my effusive write-up on the uh, the uh, column that day for the exploitation stuff we were watching. It is like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two to the Lawnmower Man's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I'm so it's kind of like a go with whatever they thought in the moment type of movie. It's got the really bad like VR effects um, from 1996 where people are like flying and it doesn't even look like green screen. It looks like they're like standing on wires in front of like a painting, but it's like not a map painting. It's just like somebody's painting they have in their house. <laughs> and um, Patrick Bergen has like dreadlocks in it and it's ridiculous. And he's trying to, and he's giving like this performance that's so game that like I just, it, it becomes like a div off and Wishmaster type of performance. It's just so weird. And then on the other side, Matt Brewer is playing Job, but this was right after Batman Forever and he's just doing the Riddler. <laughs> and. It's very distracting, but it's great. And everybody's saying, like, jack into VR and jack out of VR and stuff. And I I started 30 minutes in, and I'm like, this isn't working for me. And then by the end, I was like, I need this. <laughs> <laughs> so I highly recommend that.
0: Is Patrick Bergen the Pierce Brosnan character?
1: Um, Not the same character. Right, but, but he, basically but the same purpose. Got yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, he's like a a tech genius. He's like a Neo type where he's, you know, known amongst all of the VR people and stuff like that. But he's kind of reclusive and they have to seek him out. And Austin O'Brien from Last Action Hero is in it and all this.
0: Wow. So he made that and My Girl 2 and Prehysteria. And those I think I've just named all of his credits.
1: Well, I mean... Then you tap out because yeah. you've fulfilled everything that you're going to to cinema. <laughs> so I, I like that. Um I I watched another sequel on Disney Plus. This one I had seen, but I hadn't seen it since 2004. So I rewatched Princess Diaries Two: Royal Engagement. I just went straight to two. I have never and seen two. I've
0: only seen one.
1: one. Okay. Put aside that there's, like, mattress surfing and princess slumber parties and Gary Marshall stuff, like, this is just a good Chris Pine, Anne Hathaway romantic comedy, and I was, like, I don't know. I think Chris Pine just didn't mean the same thing to me in 2004. Anne Hathaway did, but, like, Chris Pine didn't, and it's definitely a case of, like, I don't know who the lucky one is in this situation. All beautiful, and wonderful. And she's the woman I love. And he's the man I want to be. And it's like, I don't know what to do. It's distracting. And then, spoiler for Princess Diaries 2, at the end of the movie, she becomes Queen of Genovia. And it feels like at the end of Lord of the Rings, where you're like, oh, this is earned with Eric. Like, <laughs> so I don't. it just completely worked for me. And I'm happy I have Disney Plus, so I can watch things like that on a whim.
0: Princess Diaries 2, Beyond Cyberspace.
1: Princess Diaries 2, Mia's War. (laughs) Mia Thermopolis' War.
0: (laughs) Genovia goes to war with some other East European country. Wow, this is a really weird idea for a Princess Diaries sequel, but I guess I'm into it.
1: Lawnmower Man 2, Beyond Genovia. (laughs) Lawnmower Man 2, Royal VR. I like it. Yeah, all right. Um, And then also on Disney+, Plus, I watched Disney's The Kid. Have you ever seen that one? I saw that in the theater. I did, too. It was the last movie I saw before I went to college. Oh, wow. I'll always remember that. And I remembered liking it then, and I like it even more now. And it's got, like, a shockingly engaged Bruce Willis performance, considering... Like, this is the type of movie you would definitely expect him to kind of phone it in on, but he's really good in it, and it's, like, I think it works even more for me now because it's, like, midlife crisis catnip, and it's all about, like, all the things from your past that you didn't deal with, and now it's coming up because you haven't dealt with them, and, like, you're at that center point where... Like, your older self is trying to help you, and then you think you're helping your younger self, but the younger self is really the one trying to help you in the moment, and it just is, like, an emotional powerhouse, and I loved it, and it's uh, a movie I think I'm going to watch a whole bunch more than I had before, where it was just, like, I watched it once in 2000, and now I watched it once, 20 years ago. Right. I think Right. So. I
0: think we did a double feature of that and The In Crowd, a movie that no one remembers, but probably exists in a snap case somewhere waiting for you to buy it.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I remember that movie vaguely, but I couldn't differentiate if it was like a show on the WB or if it was a movie. (laughs) It was barely a movie.
0: The kid from Disney's The Kid is the same kid who gets blown away on the porch in The Happening, right? For and Betty Buckley's Lemon Drink?
1: Yeah, uh, Spencer Breslin. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. R I P. And uh yeah, he's he's not an actor I've always cared for. But he's fine in this. He's good in this.
0: I remember thinking Uh, the movie was cute. I don't remember much else about it, because I saw
1: it that night and
0: have not seen it since.
1: Yeah, it it is cute. It's like just sneaky good. I really liked it. Um and then I watched Wimbledon for the first time on HBO Now. Um I think I told you the story about what's going on with me and HBO Max, right? Uh no. Okay, so I signed up for HBO Max. Then they didn't say that it wasn't going to be on Roku. So I have no way of watching it like on my Roku, which is how I always watch my streaming channels because that's normal. So I was like, okay, well, I've got HBO now um, on my Roku, which I got access to because I'm signed up for HBO Max. So now I'm doing this delicate balance of like checking what's on HBO max, but hoping it's on HBO now, which I'm sure is how they wanted this to go. (laughs) So I have like this big queue of stuff that I'm watching on HBO and Wimbledon was a movie that I had never seen that I kind of meant to see. I own it from half price books. (laughs) 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 Um, And I watched it last night and it's exquisite. It's great. (laughs) I love it. It's like the best romantic comedy I've seen in like since Princess Diaries (laughs) to Royal Engagement. And um, I even like Paul Bettany in it and I usually don't like him too much or I'm indifferent about him. Like Dunst is on another planet in this movie. She's just it's like an overdrive of cuteness and just a great romantic comedy performance and she's kind of like more kind of light on her feet than she usually is in movies and got an Avril Lavigne song in it and it's a sports movie and it's just, uh, it's great. You should watch Wimbledon if you haven't seen
0: it. I clearly need to revisit it because we saw it in theaters and at the time I really did not like it. And I don't remember why. Uh, I really had an allergy to it, but I couldn't, I couldn't tell you what my problem with it was because I remember so little about it.
1: So obviously I need to rewatch it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope you like it if you do rewatch it. And then I have one more and then I think there's a couple that we both watched, but I was going to tee those up for you. Um, but I, I watched urban cowboy for the first time. Have you ever seen
0: that? I never, I've owned it for years and have never seen it.
1: Half price books. (laughs)
0: going back to way before half price books.
1: Oh, okay. It's on Netflix or at least it was last month. Um, I had never seen it either, but my, I always heard that it was like lesser Saturday night fever and it kind of is. It's, um, got a really good Travolta performance. So that's all I needed, but, um, it's about like mechanical bull riding And that's, like, the disco of this movie. And it's a romance with him and Deborah Winger. And the weird thing is, like, I don't have much of an opinion about Deborah Winger. But every time I've seen her and stuff, I've never, like, quite gotten it. Like, I know she's a great actress. But she just, like, is a weird romantic lead for me. Okay, And every person he's with in the movie other than Deborah Winger, I'm just like, oh, she's much better. (laughs) Like... So he's like, there's another woman, and then at the beginning he gets like hooked up with a couple girls at the bar by like the coach from Major League. It's weird, but like all the other women, I was just like, oh yeah, that that, that that's good, that's good. But then he with never Winger, but um, and then like Sam Scott Glenn's in it. He's like the bad guy, and it's good, and it's got some really like good kind of. Dolly Parton, Kenny Rogers-ish country-western ballads in it that are catchy. So I I was a fan. I enjoyed it. I need to watch it. It, Yeah. uh,
0: I like that period of Travolta particularly. So why I've gone years without seeing it, I couldn't tell you.
1: Yeah, he definitely kind of has like... Sort of a Nicholson 70s thing mixed with Tony Monero in it. So it's a, it's a really good look for Travolta. I'm a fan.
0: I like it. When you say yeah. the coach for a major league, are you talking about James Gammon?
1: Yeah, James Gammon. Nice. Yeah, he's just like. You got to ride that mechanical ball. <laughs> and then you got to meet these girls. <laughs> yeah, he. Um, the, uh, I'm your Tinder. He totally is in this movie. Gammon should be he its just... own dating
0: app. <laughs>
1: you found a match! The <laughs> and then get the worm! <laughs> <laughs> um, it's weird, because, like, yeah, this is one of those movies where... I remember—I don't know why I remember this, but I remember before I was on the podcast, you and JB were talking about crazy, stupid love, and you were making fun of how they only go to one bar in that movie. Okay. And Urban Cowboy is like that, where it's like, it's just this bar. But when you look at the bar, it's like a warehouse and like mechanical bulls are just one thing in there. And then they've got like one of those like strong man punching bags. So I, I understood it more in this case where I'm like, well, why would you go anywhere else? This place has everything. <laughs> so um, and then we both watched uh, The Five Bloods. Yes. Yeah. So what did you think? um i thought it was
0: maybe the best movie i've seen all year
1: yeah i'm pretty close i need to see it again yeah i definitely it's a lot of movie and i definitely like want to have my feelings on it settle a bit but i was consistently kind of in awe of certain scenes just like there's a one scene in particular where like Delroy Lindo is just facing the camera and it's like this big theatrical monologue for about 5 minutes. Yeah. It's incredible. And he's playing such a like ugly character, but he's so good at it. And it's a it's I mean like and I've seen him do a bunch of different kind of performances, but nothing really like this before. So it felt kind of revelatory in a way that I'm not used to from him. Cause he's usually just kind of like that solid character actor. Right. Um, but yeah. And then it's amazing just how much energy Spike Lee has and how like invigorated he seems by like kind of having, not that he's a director who's sort of reigned in, but like Netflix clearly let him do what he wanted. And it seems like he's really, between this and black Klansmen, sort of in a zone right now.
0: I, I know you're not really a fan. I would extend it even to shy mm-hmm. I think those three in a row are like pretty incredible. And we watched a bunch of Spike Lee movies leading up to this. We, we, we rewatched jungle fever. Uh, we rewatched school days. I watched red hook summer for the first time We watched Malcolm X because Erica had never seen it. Um, Mm -hmm. And that was kind of a cool way to go into Defy Bloods because we had so much Spike Lee on the brain. And this movie is him, you know, doing a lot of the things that he's done before, which I I don't say in a negative way. Just some of his stylistic touches and stuff like that are coming from other movies. But the way that he's talking about movies and history, and it's just kind of amazing that – this movie is coming out when it is given so yeah. much of what it says, uh, which is proof that, you know, this has been going on for a long time. So he shot it a year ago and all this stuff was true and it just happens to be sort of at the center of our national consciousness right now. Uh, given recent events. But for a lot of people, this stuff is always at the center of their consciousness and they don't necessarily have the luxury of being distracted by something else. And that's kind of what Spike Lee is talking about. Uh, It's an amazing movie, I thought.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I was really impressed with it. Um, I'm looking forward to watching it again. Uh, I wanted to give it a little bit of space, kind of similar to like when I watched The Irishman. Just, I feel like giving it some time just to kind of percolate in my in my head a little bit would, would benefit it. So, um, And then you watched The King of Staten Island, right? I did. What did you think of that one? <laughs> I thought it was okay.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely wanted to like it more than I did because I really liked Trainwreck, and I thought it was a really interesting – I thought – I liked seeing Judd Apatow sort of write for somebody else to look at somebody's sort of comic persona to pull from Amy Schumer's actual life and to sort of craft this story that is going to really serve her as an actor while also being very funny um, and really sort of introduce a specific comic voice. And so all of the, you know, marketing for King of Staten Island seemed to be like he was doing the same thing, but for Pete Davidson, where it's like he's pulling from his own life, he's trying to tap into Pete Davidson's comic voice. Um, I don't think it is entirely successful. Uh, like I mm. found it very watchable. I may be a little bit tired of Judd Apatow making movies about people in a state of arrested development, because that seems to be Mm -hmm. the only story that he's interested in telling. Um, I didn't think it was as funny as any of his past movies, possibly including this is 40, which is still, I think my least favorite Judd Apatow movie. Mm -hmm. Um, I think all of his movies are funnier, but there's some good performances. I thought Bill Burr was really good and Pete Davidson was fine, you know, kind of playing a version of himself. um, but I will admit that I was probably let down more than I was satisfied with it.
1: Yeah. I I think that if movies were coming out since March, I probably would feel pretty similarly. I didn't love the movie or really like it like a lot, but there was just something about like watching a real movie that (laughs) kind of made me feel good. Um, And even if it was like this old kind of out of touch Judd Apatow movie a little bit. Um, And when I say out of touch, I mean just like, you know, he's using like the purge references or like game of Thrones and things like that, where it's just like, he's just behind a few, like a year or two where this would be topical. Um, But I kind of just enjoyed the leisurely aspect of it. I I like you didn't really laugh a whole lot during the movie, but um, normally I would be like, "Why is this movie two hours and seventeen minutes?" But when like you're a you're a desert, like you're when you're an oasis in the desert, it's like, "Oh, okay, I'll gladly accept 137 minutes of Judd Apatow right now." Um, but there's some of, some of the supporting performances I really liked. You mentioned Bill Burr. I liked Belle Powell a lot. I thought that um, Steve Buscemi was. Was good. Like those scenes kind of perked me up a little bit. Like even though the rest of the movie was kind of like kind of draggy up until he showed up. Yeah. Um, But uh, yeah, it's, it is what it is. I mean, like you absolutely at this point should know like what you're getting with the Judd Apatow movie. And it's basically just how into that are you? The last third,
0: I would say, I think I liked better than the first two thirds, which I found, Yeah, repetitive and overly long in kind of a distracting way. I mean, I know Judd Apatow's critics are often accusing him of being indulgent and all of his movies are in need of editing. But there are some tangents, including like a pharmacy robbery that just Mm -hmm. felt like they had no place in this movie. And the last third, when we get to the, this isn't a spoiler, all the firehouse stuff, um, it started to click for me and I started to like it a lot more
1: yeah yeah I I agree with that that was the part of the movie that I enjoyed the most yeah yeah
0: Um, I don't have much else those are kind of the two big ones that I wanted to talk about because everything else I've watched has been either for exploitation or
1: Spike Lee movies but uh... what did you think of uh, Red Hook Summer
0: it was not my favorite Spike Lee. It kind of comes yeah. from that period, like, between, like, She Hate Me and Chirac, where Spike was not lost, but not, it's it's maybe my least favorite period in his filmography. Um, and I say that I still haven't seen The Sweet Blood of Jesus, which comes from that period, too. Uh, and I know you wrote about it years ago, but I, so I still yeah. haven't seen that. And that, that's that's either on Netflix or Prime so that's going to be next for me. And I still okay. haven't seen Mo Better Blues, which is another one that we have to watch.
1: Yeah, I I just watched Mo Better Blues for the first time maybe like 2 years ago and it's definitely not nearly as good as like Jungle Fever or certainly Malcolm X or do the right thing, but there's enough good in it that it makes it like a certainly interesting entertaining watch
0: yeah that's kind of how i felt <laughs> about rewatching school days um which is yeah. like an an impressive sophomore movie but it's like he took everything that's good in school days and made that into do the right thing mm-hmm. and left out all the stuff that i'm less crazy about in school days part of the problem too with red hook summer is we watched it immediately after malcolm x and no. A, Malcolm X is a masterpiece and it's hard to follow uh, no matter what movie you're talking about. But also, um, Red Hook Summer feels kind of cheap and digital. Mm. And Malcolm X is a real movie, <laughs> which isn't to say that real movies aren't shot digitally. Lots of real movies are shot digitally. But the cinematography by one Ernest Dickerson and Malcolm X is so incredible. And then to switch gears to what feels a little bit like cheap digital photography to me for Red Hook Summer, uh, I found jarring and a little bit distracting.
1: Yeah. I, um, I just watched inside man again. Cause that's on Netflix. Yeah. I need and to rewatch that, that one too. Uh, yeah. That was my first time watching it probably since like 2006 or 2007. And, Outside of just me not being like really a fan of hostage movies, I it's it's fun. Like it, I liked it a lot. It, it's one of those movies that feels like a very cable type of movie. Yeah, yeah. you could just pick it up and watch twenty minutes of it at any point. Right. Well,
0: for a while, that to me was like the least Spike Lee Spike Lee movie. Yeah, but now I think that title belongs to Old Boy.
1: Yeah, I don't know what he was going for there. I really don't. So interesting on paper.
0: But yeah, didn't quite <laughs> didn't quite click. I only saw it the one time we saw it,
1: but uh, I haven't gone back to revisit it. but there, there's a few movies where I feel like he's just making them because he wants to see people hook up. <laughs> like <laughs> like as, as much as you know, people sort of say like, they think predominantly about race when it comes to spougly movies. He's obsessed with sex. Like, he is a he's, he's a, a
0: horny director.
1: Uh, he's a very horny director. And like Old Boy or like She Hate Me, especially, or the only one I haven't seen of his is Girl Six. And like Yeah, he he loves putting actors on screen simulating sex. He's yes. like a big fan of that. So <laughs> he's, a,
0: he's a horny director, which uh, is actually missing from Defive Bloods. Not a lot of horniness in Defive Bloods. No, they don't have time for that shit. <laughs> I want to do a double feature of Dead Presidents and Five Bloods, but I kind of want to wait till Dead Presidents gets its long overdue Blu-ray release.
1: Yes, yes, that would be great. I always that soundtrack, especially too, in that movie is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah.
0: All right, let's talk about surviving the game. Um, do it. Again, I, I talked about this last week on our show about Sweet Sweetback's badass song, but I was trying to think of some movies uh, directed by black filmmakers to talk about on this show. And I still want to, you know, do the kinds of movies that we do on our show. And Ernest Dickerson seems like a perfect fit for that because uh, he fits right into that kind of Stephen Hopkins, Peter Hyams sweet spot. Um and this seemed like a perfect movie for you and me to talk about, I was looking at his filmography right before we started recording. And I, so I've never seen never die alone, the DMX movie, mm-hmm. but I was so ready to say like, does Ernest Dickerson have a 100%, a hundred percent, what batting average? Like, uh, you know, does he, yeah. is he, he's is batting he, a thousand. Is he bad? There we go. A thousand. Um, But then I remember that he directed Bulletproof and I was like, oh, damn it, Ernest Dickerson, which Bulletproof isn't even the worst movie. But I just I can't suggest that every one of his movies is gold when A, I haven't seen Never Die Alone and B, uh, Bulletproof is not my favorite.
1: Yeah, um, I almost watched Never Die Alone today. That was the only one of his I haven't seen, Um, but I'm not I'd have to see it again. I saw Bones opening night and I wasn't really big on it. Um, But I think it also kind of went over my head because I was expecting it to be like a slasher movie. Right. And I didn't really know like anything about exploitation cinema at the time. Um, So, and that's clearly what he's, you know, homaging in, in bones. Um, And then I read an article today about um, it was, they had like five or six directors, um, black directors from the nineties. It was Ernest Dickerson. And then I'm, getting some of the other names but it was like the director of like the inkwell and the director of i like it like that and just a few other um ones that only got like one or two chances and um there and they were asking sort of like with ernest dickerson he said that like bulletproof was probably like the most painful movie of his career because he was trying to make like a, a Walter Hill movie and they started to do sneak previews for like 15 and 16 year olds. And then like based off of that, then he had to like cut that movie to, to ribbons. So, um, bulletproof I've always liked it, but like you can clearly tell that it's a movie that's just been hacked to pieces. I found a blu-ray of it at a seven 11 last summer and bought
0: it. Cause I was like, well, it is Ernest Dickerson. Um, yeah. And I hadn't seen it since VHS and uh, hearing what you're saying, I can kind of see that he was going for a Walter Hill thing, but it doesn't Mm -hmm. come together really in that way. But that makes me like it a little bit better.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a good interview. It was in like um, the New York times from a year or two ago and they were going into stuff about how like, like bulletproof he said, put him basically in director's jail and like, he considers himself, like, a filmmaker who directs TV primarily now. He and directs so
0: much TV. He directs every yeah. TV show. It's unbelievable.
1: Yeah, yeah. He uh, he always, like, kind of throws in for, like, two or three episodes of any show you can think of, which is great. Because, like, I mean, it's I would rather see him do feature films. But, I mean, like, it's great that he's still consistently working. Because a lot of the other directors in the article that I mentioned seem not to be having that opportunity it was more like their one failure sort of like defined their career and after that they were, like w- one line that stuck out to me that I thought was horrible was um, uh, Ernest Dickerson said that he's he would pitch movies to studios and they would say like we already have our black directors Ugh. and that was like the criteria of him not getting a chance
0: Ugh. Um, yeah. we, uh, we got to see Ernest Dickerson last year. He was the guest at Sin Apocalypse because they were doing like a mini Ernest Dickerson retrospective and they presented him with a lifetime achievement award. So they showed juice, which I did not see, uh, at yeah. Sin Apocalypse, but they also showed demon night, the same night that we saw judgment night with Stephen Hopkins, just like it has to be like a top 10 double feature <laughs> of all time. It's gonna be
1: hard to top. Demon Knight <laughs> and, and Judgment Night with
0: both directors in person. Like, I think it might be top one. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a pretty, it was a pretty amazing night of movies. And then, uh, a night to remember. <laughs> he was supposed to be interviewed just recently during the Chattanooga Film Festival, which was all happening virtually. Um, and he never showed for the interview <laughs> when they were going to talk surviving the game. It was Josh Goldblum who was moderating the interview and then Ice-T and Ernest Dickerson. But Ernest Dickerson never showed. So it was just Ice-T talking about surviving the game, which, by the way, is totally fine. Like, I'll watch Ice-T talk about anything for an hour. Um, but uh, I've just always really liked, you know, Ernest Dickerson. He gets his start as Spike Lee's DP. And then when he becomes a director, he directs mostly like little genre movies. Yeah. Uh, and that that kind of seems to be where his interests lie and when he branched out on a TV he directs all kinds of TV. I probably know him best in terms of directing TV from both the wire and The Walking Dead and when I was watching The Walking Dead, if he directed the episode, you knew like something big was gonna happen if it was an Ernest decker if it was an Ernest Dickerson episode, you knew like oh somebody's gonna die um so he he was like one of their heavy hitters that they called out when they needed uh A big moment. Um, But yeah, I've just always been a big fan of him as a filmmaker.
1: Yeah, I really like him too. Um, Getting back to like what you were saying with genre directors, it's kind of like when I started to, for the purpose of this show, to like really kind of think about what types of projects he picks or finds his way as director. Um, Yeah, like him, Singleton, the Hughes brothers, like they all kind of had, like, a similar trajectory where they would start out with the movies that studios at the time, like, based off of, like, Do the Right Thing and uh, that success, they wanted, like, the social issue movie from these directors. And then that kind of gave them the currency to do the genre of movies that they wanted to do.
0: Yeah, even Juice, which is Ernest Dickerson's first movie, like was certainly marketed as, you know, another one of these menace to society or, or boys in the hood kinds of movies, but it's not really, it is much more of kind of a straightforward thriller almost.
1: Yeah, it's great. I, I, that's a really, really good movie. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's different to like from his work with Spike Lee where you can tell he learned a lot, but that he had, like, a unique voice of his own. Yeah. And yeah. Um, that's something that I've always uh, appreciated about Juice. It's just a definite, like, impressive, like, throw down the gauntlet debut. Yeah.
0: That movie yeah. needs a Blu-ray also.
1: I think it has one, doesn't oh, it? Oh, for real? Yeah. they. I think maybe about a year or two ago. It was around the time, like, the Tupac biopic came out. Uh, um, which I, I think didn't see. They,
0: you're fine. I still haven't I, seen All Eyes on Me. Oh, there is a Juice Blu-ray.
1: Yeah. Hold on, I'm adding yeah. it to my Amazon cart. Do it. <laughs> uh, and then Surviving the Game was right after Juice, right? Uh, Yeah, right? Yeah, because it's between yeah. Juice and Demonite, Demon Yeah.
0: He's
1: yeah. ramping up to yes, Demon yes. Yeah. <laughs> God bless him. Because Demon Knight is one of the greatest movies ever made.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And then it was... Oh, I take it back. There's another movie I haven't seen because I never saw. Something called Blind Faith. Oh, I don't even know what that is. It looks like kind of a straightforward drama that's got Charles Dutton in it and Courtney B. Vance. Okay. It's like a period... uh, It's like his Ghosts of Mississippi.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Um, Um... what is, so Since you've been watching a lot of the Spike Lee movies that he was um, the cinematographer on, did you take away anything really about him, like, visually from those? Um,
0: I mean, I really like his photography, and some of it I know has to be credited to Spike Lee for designing certain shots. Um, Malcolm X is a particularly impressive feature because it's shot in sort of a couple different styles and mm-hmm. not not in that like Oliver Stone JFK way where it's like i'm using all these different stocks and i'm cutting them all together like Malcolm X starts as one thing the middle section is shot a completely different way a, a little bit like the aviator uh which was was that michael ballhouse I- I think shot the aviator. I might be talking out my ass, but you know how the aviator kind of shifts gears as it moves along uh, photographically. Malcolm X kind of does the same thing and it's subtle, but it's incredibly well done. Um, He just, he's a, he's a great cinematographer.
1: Yeah. I, I was listening to an interview that he did. Um, It was, I don't know what it was like. It was like a show that Snoop Dogg was like the host of, and he was doing interviews and he interviewed um, Ernest Dickerson. And it was a pretty casual interview because like they had worked together. So you could tell that they like were chummy. Um, And one of the things that Ernest Dickerson was saying was like, when he did do the right thing, Spike Lee told him that he wants to feel the heat in every scene. So like he was talking about how, you know, he used a lot of reds and oranges and, yellows and things like that like as far as the color scheme um warm colors to kind of trick you subliminally to like into thinking how hot the actual movie is and um one of the things that struck me when i saw do the right thing at ebert fest a few years ago was how much the movie looked like west side story it was like that kind of music mgm musical type of photography interesting and yeah. that's something that he carried over to like jungle fever and to um and M- malcolm x was a little bit more kind of i don't know epic like lawrence of arabia expansive but um especially those new york movies i think he's he really makes you feel the movie yeah it's like yeah. new york is a character <laughs> <laughs>
0: i want to do like a super cut i'm not really going to do this but of um Spike Lee endings because his endings Mm -hmm. are often just the goddamnedest thing. (laughs) Like they're just, (laughs) they are just so bizarre. Because I had forgotten the ending of School Days, uh, so in my mind, Jungle Fever had the wackiest Spike Lee ending. But then I watched Oh yeah, and I was like, oh, this is this is right up there with Jungle Fever. (laughs) It's hard to top Jungle Fever for endings, though.
1: No, I mean, yeah, the Jungle Fever ending. You could put that at the as the ending of any movie, and it would just be as inexplicable <laughs> as it is in Jungle Fever.
0: Well, that's the thing. It's like you can't do a supercut of the endings because you can't appreciate them without the context of the previous two hours. You know, if you saw just the ending of Jungle Fever, you're like, all right, well, I assume that makes sense in the movie, right? And not knowing, like, no, no, it does not.
1: Mm-hmm. I, oh. liked, um, I liked at the end of Princess Diaries 2... When the Genovian kid comes around the corner and goes, hey, man, I'll suck your dick. And then Anna Hathaway's like, no, and then it ends. And then it's just directed by Gary Marshall. <laughs> well,
0: he hasn't been doing it that long.
1: <laughs> and like, because it's Gary Marshall, he holds on the extra for like 30 seconds too long.
0: <laughs> A Dixie Chick song plays over the end credits.
1: Yeah yeah old
0: old dixie chicks not before they got political and cool
1: oh man shut up and sing i love that movie um yeah it's so good i need i need to see it if they have it at half price books i'll buy it (laughs) i don't think it comes in a snap case
0: ah shit (laughs) i'll make one
1: (laughs) (laughs) custom snap cases do you want your dvd to to look like it came out in 1998 i'm your guy Why the hell do they sell blank jewel cases, but not blank snap cases? (laughs) I want to buy blank clamshells and blank snap cases. It's bias, man. It's bias. Um, So
0: years ago, Adam was just reminding me of this before we started recording. I wrote a piece on surviving the game when I was doing heavy action early on. I would do it as like double features. So I would talk about movies in conjunction with another movie that was, you know, kind of a similar thing. And I wrote a piece about surviving the game with The Running Man. And I deliberately did not go back and reread this column, which was a mistake. Because as Adam pointed out, I didn't seem too crazy about surviving the game in this column. And that I much preferred The Running Man. Uh, and that's fine. People evolve, people change, because as I'm watching Surviving the Game now, I'm like, this movie rules. And obviously I didn't always feel that way. But I remember feeling that way in 1994 when I saw this as a divorce movie at the Woodfield Mall Theater with my dad. Oh my God, this is such a Woodfield Mall movie. Yeah, that's how I saw it. And uh, I was a big, big fan of it. Um, in large part because I've just always been such a fan of ice Tea. In all facets of his life, like his music, uh, and especially of him as an actor uh, since New Jack City, I just really like watching him on screen. I think he has something that you can't fake. Uh, And Mm -hmm. I know he makes a lot of, like, pretty bad movies. You know, he got stuck in kind of, like, the straight-to-cable, leprechaun-in-the-hood kind of he got on that track. And so, you know, n- not all of his movies are of a high quality, uh, but I will watch him in pretty much anything.
1: Yeah. He keeps popping up in stuff that I've been watching this month. He's good. He's, he's in Ricochet. Movie. We know that. So Ricochet, Johnny Mnemonic and who's the man he's in all of them. Oh, I don't remember him in who's the man, but I haven't seen that since opening night. Yeah, that one was okay. That one was interesting because you could tell Ted Demi just really wanted to make a movie with Dennis Leary, so he gave him, like, this really extended bit. (laughs) And, uh, but I don't know. Yeah, but Ice-T is always... He's always the same, but it's amazing how well he fits into so many different types of movies. Yeah. (laughs) It's really impressive. But, um, yeah, Surviving the Game was... uh, Yeah, he's, he's a fun action hero in the movie he's like smart alecky but not too smart alecky um but he's like he's he definitely like especially in that section of the movie where it's it's the calm before the storm he definitely like is commenting on like how absurdist the whole thing is and i think it sets the tone for the rest of the movie which could be sort of too mean-spirited if it doesn't have some kind of a a genre type of feel at, it, during those moments. Right. right.
0: Well, and this movie came out well, less less than a year after Hard Target, which is basically the same movie, yeah. um, you know, in terms of hunting people for sport. And as I was watching the opening credits of Surviving the Game, I was like, well, this opens the same way as Hard Target, which is like, well, we have to show other people being hunted. And I just last week was watching a movie called Avenging Force with Michael Dudikoff, which is a very similar plot and opens the very same way, which is like, here are some victims who don't get away. Right. So we get to watch the people who aren't Rob get hunted and (laughs) killed in the woods. um, The same way that our target opens. Um, And you know, kind of the big distinction here is we get to know the hunters better because it's this amazing cast of like character actors and uh, it's like a who's who of a certain age group of character actors, but also, you know, and I think I see talked about this in that interview that he did for Chattanooga film festival. He said, you know, the movie was written to be about class Um, that, which is the case with all of these most dangerous game ripoffs, which is the wealthy, preying upon the poor. And in this case, it's literally a homeless person, although they were homeless in hard target too, weren't they?
1: Yeah. That's what I thought. Not chance Boudreau. No, he was too. He was like well, a his, sailor. His, was his like,
0: mama took one.
1: Yeah. His mama did take
0: one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, the, you know, they make it very literal by making ice tea homeless. And I think I see pointed out like once he was cast, It became a movie not just about class, but also about race. And it's not – they don't lead with that. I don't think they push that – I don't want to say agenda because that makes it sound insidious and it's not. But obviously you have Ernest Dickerson, a black filmmaker, casting a black action hero to be hunted by this group of wealthy white men. Um and one black man. And one black man, which I guess we could talk about sort of Charles Dutton's role in this whole thing. Yeah. Um, part of that I, I I feel like the movie played better for me now in 2020 than it ever has. Specifically because of that aspect, because of sort of the racial makeup of the cast and getting to see because there's certainly a black exploitation element, and we know you know Ernest Stickerson is a big black exploitation fan getting to see this black action hero take revenge and turn the tables and hunt down these white motherfuckers um, is incredibly satisfying in 2020.
1: Yeah. uh, One thing I kept thinking during the movie was so as of late um, my, the company that I work for has been doing like a lot of workshops and like encouraging, um, you know, our coworkers that are black to like, talk about just uh, just a lot of things. And one of the things that um, was brought up was something that I don't think about and a lot of other people don't think about, but it's just like a lot for a lot of my black coworkers, they're the only black person in most of these meetings. And I kept thinking about that when I was watching Surviving the Game, where it's, you know, Charles S. Dutton is kind of its own separate thing. So compartmentalizing that character Um, and kind of setting him aside for a second, like, how weird Mm -hmm. is it that, like, these... It's, like, a big, you know, group of creepy white men, and they're all, like, kind of, like, preying upon... Well, literally, like, preying upon Ice-T's character, and it's just another element of, like, othering him, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I don't think that I was thinking that way when I had seen the movie previously. So I, I agree with you. I kind of was watching it with more of a kind of a weightier dynamic than I usually do.
0: And again, that is just subtext, you know, that is sort of brought about by the casting and some of the choices that Ernest Dickerson makes, but the movie can certainly be enjoyed as just a straightforward, most dangerous game riff action movie uh, Mm -hmm. because I think it functions really well in that capacity um i don't know why i didn't like it the last time i watched it and wrote about it you really didn't
1: like it it was interesting (laughs) i would love for you to go back and read that it was strange i was like when i read it i was just like why does he want to talk about this (laughs) well so let me ask did you watch this on voodoo free with ads no,
0: I have the snap case of it
1: that I bought at half-price box.
0: <laughs> I have a snap case of it, too, and yeah. mine is still in a box, so I couldn't watch it. But it is streaming free with ads currently on Vudu, if you guys are interested in watching it. And there's not that many ads, which is kind of nice. I feel like the, there was uh... something wrong with the Vudu stream. Oh, okay. So let me ask this. When John C. McGinley kind of wanders off, do we see Ice-T snatch him?
1: Hmm. I remember he's getting carried by Ice-T and like Ice-T's hitting his head against trees and
0: stuff. Do you remember that? So that is not on the voodoo stream. There's like a skip because all of a sudden he kind of wanders off. There's a scene with Rutger Hauer talking with uh, F. Murray Abraham and Charles Dutton. And then all of a sudden it skips ahead to John C. McGinley's already in the cave.
1: No, no, no. Yeah, he definitely – you definitely missed a beat because um, Ice-T drops out of a tree and kicks John C. McGinley in his face and yeah. knocks him out.
0: That sucks, man. That So that, yeah. that was missing in the stream that I watched. But it, it was so jarring because I was like, well, how do we get to here already? So, so I rewound it to see if maybe there was just a glitch, but it did the exact same thing again.
1: Yeah, no, I – all right, I got to ask you a question about this. So, like, I watched it on my old DVD. It's probably, like, a DVD from... It has to be the late 90s. But old DVDs, for some reason, just because I'm used to watching things in, like, pristine HD clarity, it feels like I'm watching, like, a film print now. And it's kind of <laughs> nice.
0: Yeah, sometimes I prefer it. I have a few DVDs. Some DVDs are just trash. And, like, they're yeah. they're really hard to watch because they look so bad. But some DVDs have that quality. I know exactly what you're talking about.
1: Yeah. It's like, well, this was a new line one. They give you like the option of widescreen or full screen. So of course I watched widescreen, but it's like anamorphic widescreen and it just has like this kind of grainy aspect to it. That's like really kind of works for a lot of movies, especially new line type of movies. Yeah. 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 Um, one thing I noticed, I wanted to, this is such a stupid thing, but it's the (laughs) only, you're the only person I could talk to about stuff like this. Um, In the trailer on the DVD, everybody gets a cast shout out except for John C. McGinley. (laughs) Maybe he
0: wasn't a big enough name
1: at the time. But is William McNamara that big of a name? Oh, interesting. based
0: Based on Dream a Little Dream. Uh,. Based on opera. Uh had Chasers come out at this time? Yeah, I guess it already had, right? The
1: same year. I oh, don't know. Okay. It might have that might have been like the same month, even. I don't know.
0: His character
1: but... sucks in this
0: movie. He just screams dad a lot.
1: Yeah, I actually had that written down, like where it's like if you could describe <laughs> his character in one word.
0: He's like, Dad! 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 But I really like um that. John C. McGinley has his own kind of backstory and he kind of snaps on ice tea when he makes mention of killing his family. because um, yeah. John C. McGinley had just lost his daughter and F. Murray Abraham and William McNamara have their little dynamic where he's like, I paid all this money. I'm going to show you how to do this. I'm going to make a man out of you. You know, they give this group of hunters their own characterization. They're not just, these sort of generic mustache-twirling bad guys. We don't know a ton about everybody, particularly Charles Dutton. Um,
1: Yeah, I think Charles S. Dutton is secretly the most evil character in the entire movie.
0: Well, because he's the one who's going out and finding these people. And he's the one who, like, sort of befriends them and earns their trust.
1: Yeah, I think they're trying to, like... They're obviously trying to make Rutger Hauer be the... One thing, all right, that, this is a good segue. So I read in the IMDb trivia, and I thought this was really interesting, that Rutger Hauer apparently was thinking like Gary Busey's speech was taking too much focus. So he, so Rutger Hauer like interjected a line in the middle of Busey's speech, which we have to get back to, where he goes, Well, that's bullshit. And then Ernest Dickerson like, Cut that line out because he's like, no, this is like we're doing the Busey thing under interrupted. So I feel like <clears> Howard <throat> is trying to like be the ultimate bad, but like there's so many other interesting bad guys in this that I think they kind of eclipse him.
0: Well, I was definitely thinking as I was watching it, looking at this cast of actors and the way that they are dressed and some of their uh, little character flourishes, I was like, oh, this had to be difficult for Ernest Dickerson because you know that this was like... These guys, these actors had a lot of ideas, you know, like Rucker Howard. Oh, sure. like, I have a lot of thoughts about how my character should dress And Gary Busey. I have a lot of thoughts. I'm thinking about, uh, I think I have like a scar on my face and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I'm thinking I have this backstory about this dog uh, and it makes it into the movie, but you just know that every one of these guys like had a lot of ideas about who their character should be and... Um, that it was a lot to wrangle, none more so than Rutger Hauer. Ruckerhauer, like might as well be wearing like an eye patch and four pirate hats. Just like he just keeps piling on non- yeah.
1: nonsense. Yeah, John C. McGinley's like, I'm gonna be like a little mouse who doesn't blink but then explode.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Basically, I'm gonna be the same thing I am in every movie, which is like
1: <laughs> an even more tightly wound James Woods. I'm starting because maybe he's not, like, he hasn't been outed as being a horrible person, but, like, like James Woods, I think John C. McGinley is becoming, like, one of my favorite character actors. No, he's amazing every time he shows up in a movie. Yeah, I know. I just, like, get really happy. Like, when he's in Get Carter, I was just like, ooh, sleaze. <laughs> <laughs> but then, like, Mickey Rourke shows up, he's like, I'll show you sleaze. <laughs> I like it, Mickey of. Rourke basically is just like dripping with some kind of like, you don't know if it's Germex or what on his hand and he's yeah. just like wiping yeah. it on like furniture. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, no no but my uh, one of the things I thought was interesting um was the screenwriter whose name I didn't write down unfortunately, but um he said that he re- once he saw like what Busey was doing, and Busey wrote that speech yeah. about yeah. how he got his scar. It was like a two page monologue that he just wrote and was like, I'm doing this. Um, that the screenwriter was just like, I really regret killing, or sorry, spoiler, I really regret offing Gary Busey's character first. If I did it over, I would have chosen one of the other actors.
0: Which makes sense, um, you know, because you want Busey to stick around for longer. But I think there's something powerful about him going first because it does take you by surprise. You don't expect Busey to be the first one to go. Yeah. Um, and it it just throws you a little bit off kilter. You know, William McNamara makes it way too long into this movie. But uh, the writer's name is Eric Burnt, which uh, when I saw his name come up in the credits, naturally I thought – you burnt you burnt uh, um he also wrote <laughs> virtuosity and which and i watched the same died. night
1: i like one of those uh <laughs> i i watched virtuosity as the third movie of a triple header with lawnmower man 2 and johnny mnemonic wow. on vr night wow. for that a is, sci-fi day. that's a hell of a vr night um virtuosity is terrible
0: Yeah, it's streaming, and I almost put it on the other night because I can't remember if I had ever seen it, but I opted not to.
1: I'm, I'm like embarrassed just to watch it, like and like Denzel Washington's like I'm I'm like how how'd you end up in this? And then I read on IMDb that his son wanted him to do the movie, so he did the movie. So now I'm like Joel David Washington, you owe your dad. (laughs) Give him give him some of those. Tenant receipts. Yeah, give them some of them, the, the, the Nolan points. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I guess we could talk about the Abuse speech because it's hilarious and I think kind of works in like a, a, a subtle way of just like really kind of taking the piss out of hunting and like just in general, where if you, I'm not to, if if you're a hunter, I don't agree with it, but whatever. I don't want to get into an argument with people who are hunters who are listening to this. But I think that if you're using hunting as a way of posturing your masculinity, I think the movie and that speech in particular are really taking the piss out of that. And I think Busey's delivery of the speech is just fun. And, like, his sound effects are ridiculous. <laughs> And the story, if you start, like, really thinking about it, is just so absurd. It's my favorite moment of the movie.
0: It's always been my favorite moment of the movie. And not just Busey's speech, but Ice-T's reply. I remember seeing this in 1994 and laughing so hard at the timing of, do your patients know this story? <laughs> the way he pauses before patience, And, again, in that Sin Apocalypse interview, it was revealed that that was Basically, an ad lib that Ernest Dickerson <laughs> told Ice T. Listen, Gary Busey's going to tell this crazy long speech. Whatever he says, I want you to respond with whatever you would respond with. You know, what would you actually say back to him? And that's what he came up with. Do your patients know this story. Uh, yeah, and it's it's so funny, and it completely takes the piss out of the speech. I think, uh, which is already sort of taking the piss out of this whole idea of you know, hunting and masculinity and stuff.
1: Uh, it's not even like hunting really. It's like they're on ATVs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's definitely like, you know, the, we chained down the Turkey so we could shoot it with the shotgun. Oh like yeah, for and sure. One.
0: And again, that's, I love that about the movie that it gives them yeah. such an unfair advantage, not only because dramatically it makes the stakes more interesting, but it underscores the point even further
1: that these guys are completely full of shit, you know. And they're such dicks. I mean, it's like to even like nail that home even more. I love how the detail is that they brought their own pig to slaughter, <laughs> as opposed to just like buying a bunch of Jimmy beans. <laughs> to, <bring them laughs> to cook on a grill.
0: <laughs> I like, uh, you know, you had mentioned Ice T being kind of uh, smart alecky. I like that he isn't something that Ice T I don't think ever does which I always appreciate about his acting is that he never like works overtime to be cool like I think he's automatically kind of cool just cuz he's Ice T uh mm-hmm. think look at something like New Jack City like New Jack City doesn't try to make him cool at all he just happens to be the coolest motherfucker in that movie right um yeah. but he's not think about somebody like Vin know. Diesel who like everything I do has to be cool. You know, Um, I don't feel like Ice-T ever does that. So even when he is kind of being smart, smart alecky or making some like comments, despite being by himself in the woods or whatever, I never feel like he's protecting his image as Ice-T hip hop badass.
1: No. Yeah. I, I agree with that. He, he seems very confident in himself to not have to push it. Right. He can just kind of be himself.
0: Right. And he just kind of does what the movie asks of him. And, you know, sometimes he's willing to put on kangaroo makeup
1: and be in Tank Girl, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And also he's never like saying like, oh, this is an iced tea vehicle. He's always just kind of like playing into the story, which I, i never really thought about before, but I completely agree with you on that.
0: Yeah. Again, his, his casting in New Jack City is so smart because he's so, he just fits into that world so well. But then everything after that, I mean, for a while he was kind of doing more supporting parts because in Ricochet, he's more of a supporting role, right?
1: Yeah. He, he sort of played the same part in like, who's the man. And then also in Johnny Mnemonic kind of too, where it's, he's kind of like the underground um, messiah type that like the hero needs to go to. That seemed that seemed to be his role for a while.
0: What's the movie I'm thinking of where he's like dangling from his feet from the ceiling shooting two machine guns? Is that 3000 Miles to Graceland? Is he in that movie?
1: Yeah, I think you're right. Okay. I Yeah, he's in a I think that's the one, yeah. Cuz he's not in the beginning robbery. He shows up later. Okay. Yeah. I don't remember that movie very well, but that movie has a rough and credits were um Kurt Russell's singing an Elvis song and then like Costner's vamping. And you can tell that he doesn't know what to do.
0: It has a rough beginning credits where it's a fight between two CGI scorpions. I remember going to see it opening weekend, being so excited about it. Cause I was like, Oh, this is a bank robbery movie with Kurt Russell and Kevin Costner and they're Elvis impersonators. And it starts and it's these two CGI scorpions
1: <laughs> fighting. And I'm like, what the fuck is this movie going to be? Yeah, I don't know. That's another Snapcase movie.
0: Yeah, it is.
1: Yeah. Um, What do you think about F. Murray Abraham?
0: (laughs) I never (laughs) am like a huge F. Murray Abraham guy. Um, Even though I recognize that he's often good, sometimes he goes way over the top. I watch Amadeus, though. You know, Erica and I watched Amadeus maybe a year ago, and it's, like, some of the best acting ever in that movie. Like, he's so unbelievable in that movie. And then everything else I see him in, I'm just kind of like, eh, all right, F. Murray Abraham, you know?
1: Yeah, he's, like... I never like him ever even a little bit in any movie, but that's often <laughs> the type of characters that he's playing. Sure. So I'm wondering okay. if he's just like the greatest actor at being the worst. It's possible. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, he, it, one of my favorite performances of his is uh, in mobsters. There's like a moment where he's like, do you know what life is all about? And then like Slater, like, Pauses for a second and then F. Murray Abraham just goes, Money. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking <laughs> about.
0: Oh mobsters. That movie's awesome.
1: That movie is fantastic. That movie's like <laughs> Dick Tracy for like like rated R with no makeup. <laughs> it's wonderful. Um yeah, William McNamara, I wrote down he makes Chris O'Donnell look like Kurt Russell. <laughs>
0: dad 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 dad, dad! dad! dad!
1: <laughs> he kind of sucks and it's funny when he falls off that log oh it's great i just wish i could have seen him fall for longer <laughs> it is kind of a quick shot maybe the yeah. effect wasn't quite there no i guess not um <laughs> so i i have like just a ton of random thoughts All about right. this movie um so one thing I thought was interesting was like, all right, the obvious comparison is with hard target. Um, but in that movie, I, in hard target, it's like set up that this is a business, like a really lucrative business for like Lance Hendrickson and Arnold Boslo. And in certain game, this is just like their excuse to be friends.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is their annual, uh, fishing trip. Um, is it Rucker Howard that's being paid all this money? Because they, it's fifty thousand dollars a guy.
1: Yeah, but who's paying him?
0: Yeah, I don't know. Well, uh, F. Murray Abraham complains that he. Is it fifty thousand a guy or is it twenty five? Is F. Murray Abraham saying I paid fifty thousand because I paid for both of us? I don't know, but
1: oh, I don't know. Yeah, I wasn't sure. Like I thought they were maybe just friends. Like some of them at least. It sure like seems like it. Them. Yeah. yeah. Right. It seems
0: like this is a thing that they do once a year, but there's a specific mention of the money that he had to pay. And so William McNamara better shape up.
1: Yeah.
0: I don't know. Um, uh, Real quick. Yeah. Does the whole ending sequence feel like a reshoot to you? Absolutely. Oh, I do not like it.
1: Yeah. I'm not a fan. Like I don't get why like Rutger Hauer all of a sudden has to change his identity. No, I well, don't either. This like seems a-
0: like more weird Rutger Hauer bullshit. Like I have a, I have an idea. <laughs> oh God,
1: yeah. the worst words you could hear Rutger Hauer say. And then he's like, I have an idea. I'm going like, to blow up like a Looney Tunes cartoon and that's the end of the movie.
0: <laughs> yeah. The whole, like they're paying off something that was barely established very early on in the movie. It's like almost one of the first things you hear. You you maybe have to bring that up once or twice more for it to really pay off. Uh yeah, I called it check off the barrel. <laughs> Always check off the barrel. <laughs> oh, the Stuart Copeland score is so crazy, too. Like sometimes, Especially it's, in the
1: beginning. Yes, it's like, in the beginning. <laughs> it's bananas. In the beginning, it's just like, it's like they picked up the wrong audio file. Yes. And it was like the one for milk money or something. <laughs> Oops, we got milk money score. Oh, well, let's use <laughs> yeah. it. It's like the kids are trying to approach Melanie Griffith and it's all gritty.
0: <laughs> it's all slide guitar. Um, yeah. I mean, a lot of the score I like, but it is quirky,
1: you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it certainly is. And then that kind of feeds into the whole, like where they sort of have picked out ice T to be the guy, but then Rutger Hauer, for some reason, like, sort of half-heartedly, like, puts him through the ringer of, like, going on the treadmill, or, like, I couldn't tell when he put, punches in the buttons, is he supposed to be running 1.2 miles, or is he running 1.2 miles per hour, because mm. he's just sort of bouncing up and down on the treadmill, right. so I'm like, well, I guess in full clothes, 1.2 miles per hour would still be uncomfortable after a while, yeah. but it seems very, very slow too, to prove that you're, you can run in the, in the woods.
0: Yeah. I don't know. Cause I, I thought it was more of just a timed thing. Wasn't it? Wasn't it like here you run for 20 minutes and I'll give you 20 bucks or something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. No, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the don't rules know. of surviving the game. No, I mean, I don't even think they did either, to be fair. Um, how did Ice-T get back home? <laughs> did they ever explain that? Uh, no. Yeah, reshoot. It's definitely a reshoot. It
0: feels like such a re- – I just wish the movie would have ended in the woods. I've never liked – I've never been a fan of the last, you know, five to ten minutes of this movie.
1: Yeah, it's pretty weird. Um, I love Charles S. Dutton's death scene. like <laughs> the Black Knight and Monty Python. His crazy laugh. Yeah, and he's just like, "I'll oh, see you next weekend." <laughs> it reminded says, me of nice a, it reminded yeah. me
0: of a moment into Five Bloods, actually. You'll have to tell
1: me after the show. Okay. Uh, oh, it, oh, I know what you mean Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I yeah. think yeah. it should okay. be pretty obvious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now now that I think of it, it's the most. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, I don't know. What do you think of Charles S. Dutton usually? Well, we had this conversation,
0: and I feel like it was maybe something you took out of the Alien Three article. It was <laughs> okay, because I maybe forgot to respond to it, and then it didn't make the final cut. But you had said, like, "Is he a good?" I forget how you phrased it.
1: I don't remember either. My point basically was that he's super theatrical, yeah. And I know sure. that he, I know that he was a theater actor. And I know that he has been in jail and I know that he has killed a person before and he's had a tough life and I'm glad that he reformed himself, I suppose. Um, But he speaks like an orator, not an actor. (laughs) Um,
0: I don't mind him in this movie. I can see exactly what you're talking about, especially in something like alien three, where the movie kind of stops so that he can perform Um, this movie. I think he fits in pretty well. Cause I think yeah. there's a lot of big personalities in this movie. Almost everyone is a big personality, which is another reason why I think Ice-T stands out because he tends to underplay. Uh, mm-hmm. And some of that may be a choice and some of that may just be, you know, he doesn't have a lot of real training and um, especially at this point, he had only been acting for a few years. Uh, so he tends to underplay and he's acting against all these guys who are just swinging for the fences and, uh, but I think Charles Dutton fits in pretty well in this movie.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I think this is my favorite performance that I've seen him give. Uh, it's either this or Rudy. This I think or radio. Of- or radio. Was he
0: in radio? You know what? I'm probably thinking of his performance in Rudy and conflating
1: it with, uh, radio. Okay. All right. Um, this is the type of movie because, like, as you mentioned, the personalities are so big. I feel like there was, like, a Greco-Roman wrestling match for who gets the AND credit.
0: <laughs> they had to do a Surviving the Game just to see who would get the AND credit.
1: Yeah, that always fascinates me of, like, who would get the... Like, when you have, like, this giant ensemble cast of, like, people that you recognize who gets the AND credit. Yeah. It's like Or, like my favorite when there's so many people that they have to give them like a double with
0: oh yeah yeah They happens sometimes who does get the is it Busey who gets the end credit F. Murray Abraham that's such bullshit it's Busey is totally the end in this movie
1: yeah he gets the with okay Yeah,
0: F. Murray Abraham is not the end at all
1: no no but that Oscar will get you the end yeah I guess so yeah <laughs> um <laughs> So just a few random thoughts while I was watching this movie. It made me want trail mix and granola bars.
0: All right. It made me want Uh, to hunt humans for sport.
1: We see things differently. (laughs) Um, I like that. The woods calm me down. Um, uh, I was wondering when they showed like all those heads in the jars, if like, I bet those guys got them at like Uline or Granger.
0: What's where
1: they're like office supplies. Oh, We're sorry. Supply stores. Anyways, that's a joke that went over. You can cut that part out. <laughs> it went um, over my head. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, what's When they wake up iced tea and they're sort of like kind of like yelling at him yeah. and, and like forcing him out of the cabin to do the running head start. No bullshitting. That's exactly how my frat house hell week started. Oh my God. Yeah. So don't join a fraternity if you're under 18. Don't join a fraternity period. Yeah. Um. This movie made a long cabin breakfast seem really appealing. <laughs> like, I feel like if, um, if this movie doesn't end, before or like after uh, until we like basically we need to have a log cabin breakfast oh all right so, uh, okay yeah yeah we'll just do like an f this movie overnight and then we'll bring a pig see what happens <laughs> i do see like that that was, credit.
0: that was his head start was like okay you go we're gonna have breakfast and then we're gonna come after yeah. you
1: i think they even said a leisurely breakfast and that tricked me even more into thinking <laughs> oh that sounds nice um <laughs> who's doing the cooking it's Rucker Hauer, right? Yeah. That's what I thought. I would assume so. Yeah. Um, and then, do you ever watch movies like this and then see somebody jump into some rapids and think, "Wee, that looks fun? <laughs> I always think whee. Um, no, I don't think I do. <laughs> I don't. Every time I see it in, like, Butch and Sundance or The Fugitive or this, totally would go right behind the guy. <laughs> I just find water very appealing, like woods. Um, and then, uh, do you think stuff like this happens like every weekend and we just don't know about it? Um, I think there are versions of stuff like
0: this that happens. (laughs) I don't know if it's hunting to the death, uh, but I definitely think rich people are doing some fucked up stuff with poor people that we don't know about. Yeah. I hope not. Oh, me too. Um, yeah, I'm not yeah. hoping
1: that <laughs> in. No, I, I didn't mean it. Like, <laughs> I was debating it with you. Um, do you think the people at the soup kitchen where Charles S. Dutton works are ever like, how come never those homeless guys you talk to ever come back? <laughs> you got to think it starts to look suspicious after a little while, right? Yeah. Ice-T came
0: back, though. Maybe he's telling everyone. I mean, he doesn't really have to anymore. Charles Dutton is dead,
1: but... This this is true. Yeah. By the way, not a fan of his dog getting hit at the beginning. That seemed unnecessary. Yeah, that
0: was rough, right? They really try to take everything away from him.
1: You could tell that, like, the prop master was like, I got this dead dog prop. Let me tell you. Is it sadder when the run dog run.
0: dies or when his old friend dies? Dog. Yeah, I agree.
1: Yeah, no offense to the old But man, the old friend taught him the day. important thing about the gun. Chekhov's check the barrel check check off the barrel um okay listen to this Busey run of the early 90s predator 2 point break under siege the firm surviving the game rookie of the year zone
0: um first of all amazing run second of all every one of those movies has been covered on if this movie you mean not no no but in some form every one of those movies has been covered
1: well, we pick the movies that matter. <laughs> that should be like, if we ever if we ever have a second log line, it should be, we pick the movies that matter. <laughs> um, and then I wanted to get your, this is kind of like the better or worse than draft day question, but okay. I want to see, is surviving the game better or worse than this list of 1994 action movies? Oh, all right. I'm here for it. All right. Some of these are gimmies. Beverly Hills Cop 3. It is better. Blown Away. It is better.
0: Blank Man. I don't think I've ever seen Blank Man. It's better. Okay. The Chase. It is better. The Cowboy Way. It is better. Clear and Present Danger. I'm going to say it's better.
1: <laughs> I haven't seen Clear and Present Danger <laughs> since the theater. Ty. Um, <laughs> Double Dragon. It is better. Stargate.
0: Oh, better.
1: (laughs) Okay. Street fighter. Better. Low down. Dirty shame. Better drop zone.
0: Low down. Dirty shame, by the way, totally could have been directed by Ernest Dickerson. Um,
1: yeah, it could have better or worse than
0: drop. That was a Keenan, right? Yeah, that's a Keenan. But it's okay. like such a black exploitation throwback that I feel like Ernest Dickerson should have directed it, and it would have been better. Um, yeah. Is it? You are going to disagree with me. I think I like it better than Drops in.
1: That's fine. One of us is right. Um, <laughs> the next Karate Kid. Better. No escape. Uh, oof! I haven't seen
0: that since like Blockbuster. Uh, oof! I'll say. It's better. Hard to find. Is it? I think there's yeah. a, I think there's an Australian blu-ray under a different
1: title is it region free i believe so
0: Ooh, yeah. okay,
1: yeah all right um you said surviving the game better i did okay on deadly ground better um the professional uh worse uh the river wild never seen it it's good a lot of people falling into rapids in that movie. They're right up my alley. <laughs> You're just so uh, jealous. I'm so jealous. I'm just like, if they've got a life jacket on, even better, because then I know it's safe. <laughs> um, the getaway.
0: Uh, the getaway. It's better than the getaway. By the way, the the Blu-ray Australian Blu-ray title is Escape from Absalom. Which is not Weird. that good of a title, uh, oh. but it is on Blu-ray from Umbrella, who I think is usually region-free, so you could
1: theoretically
0: get it on Blu-ray.
1: A better title for No Escape: Will You Stop at Prison? I like it. We stop it. All right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the shadow. Oh, uh, tie. Terminal velocity. Oh
0: fuck. <laughs> uh ooh tie time cop uh, maybe a little worse
1: the crow uh, worse the specialist better, true lies. <sighs> High. It's better. Yeah, it I just be watched True again. There is one uncomfortable watch in 2020. For yeah, a
0: it's definitely James Cameron's
1: worst movie. It's like for a Schwarzenegger movie, so mean spirited. It's weird. Yeah, yeah, and then Speed, which you know, yeah, they're worse. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Surviving the Game is worse than maybe the best action movie of the 90s. But... <laughs> But it yeah. ranked pretty yeah.
0: high among the action movies of 1994. I would say. Yeah, well, it's that log cabin breakfast. It's the <laughs> deal. You can smell the syrup and the bloodshed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you can smell the formaldehyde from the head jars.
1: I know a candle I'm burning after this is over. <laughs> <Hey>. Nice. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, my outdoors one.
0: Oh, I thought you had yeah. one that was iced tea scented.
1: That'd be good. Yeah. Um, our friend Dr. David Banner, when I saw him once, had a shirt with um, it was a picture of ice tea and inside the picture was ice tea's face and all of the ice cubes were pictures of ice cube. Very nice. It was one of the best shirts I've ever seen. It's so memorable that like four years later I'm still talking about it. <laughs> uh, who do you like
0: better as an actor, ice tea or ice cube?
1: I, I would have given you a different answer like a week ago, um, but Ice Cube said some shit. Oh, lately. that's right. And he's kind of persona non grata for me right now, so I will say Ice T. All right, I'm going to say Ice T, even without
0: his anti-Semitic bullshit. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I just I always liked Ice T as an actor.
1: I rented The Glass Shield because I've been meaning to watch that for 25 years, and then. Ice Cube said anti-Semitic stuff, and I'm like, "Well, I guess their 25 years won't hurt." <laughs> Sorry, Lori Petty. Yeah. Whoops. <laughs> you go watch Tank Girl, starring Ice T. That's on, um, like Encore Epics. So I, I will DVR it. Um, Have you ever seen it? No, I've never seen Tank Girl. Oh boy. I kept hearing that it's not good, so like I sort it's, of put it off. It's a lot of movie. Okay, well I'll take a lot of movie. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um. Which we call it. So I subscribed to Apple TV today because I wanted to watch Greyhound when that comes out in July. Do you know about that? Is that the Tom Hanks movie? Yeah. Okay. So that's going to be out on Apple TV in July. So I was like, okay, well I'll sign up for it for one month, and then I'll have it when Greyhound starts, and then um, I'll turn, I'll cancel it. I didn't know that there was no movies on there. There are no movies. Period. No, it's just like a few TV shows, and then there's basically like the Beastie Boys movie and some movie with Anthony Mackie, and that's it. They don't have any other movies. Wow. I want to see the Beastie Boys documentary. Let me know how it is. (laughs) I like What You, What You, What You Want, but I'm not a big fan of the Beastie Boys. Got it. Yeah. So, I don't know. Um, yeah. Anything else on surviving the game?
0: No, I think it's, uh, it's not Ernest Dickerson's best.
1: Where would you rank it? Ah, uh, shit.
0: Uh, i go number three. Behind Demon Knight and Juice? Yeah. Yeah, I might also, because I'll probably, I'm going to revisit Bones once all my movies get out of boxes. Um, I do like Bones, but I, I can't put it ahead of surviving the game. Did Bones get a Scream Factory
1: lately? Yeah, just pretty recently, I believe. That's right. I'll, I'll, I'll pick that up. Yeah, I'm excited because I um, Scream Factory came through for me. They ran another printing of the Vincent Price Collection 1. I know, and that's the best collection by far. Yeah, so I, I have the other two, so now I'll have the, the first one. And then um, I'm excited about Tales from the Dark Side and Event Horizon Collector's Editions coming out this or August or whatever as
0: soon as they started licensing Paramount stuff I was like oh this means Tales from the Dark Side I was so excited not even thinking of Event Horizon which I will only pick up if they find that lost footage because I'm not a big Event Horizon guy
1: if they can call together the Nightbreed Kabalka right exactly they should be able to find the Event Horizon one in
0: in that instance I will definitely pick it up because I'm curious if nothing else
1: Yeah, but I
0: I love Screen Factory
1: yeah, they're
0: the best. Anyway, thank you guys very much for listening. Uh, as always, you can find our stuff every day at fthismovie.com. You can follow us on Twitter at FThisMovie. Like us on Facebook. Uh, find us on Instagram and uh, listen to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcast, And you can email us every day at fthismoviepodcasts at gmail.com. Thanks again, Adam. This was super fun. Always check the barrel. Thanks for listening to F-S-Movie.